Mindfulness mode. You can calm yourself down when you speak if you're mindful about how the breath works. Hey, Mindful Tribe, have you ever struggled for confidence? Felt like, oh man, I just need confidence and I have to do that presentation and I don't know what I'm going to do and I feel so, so stressed out. Well, I'll tell you, Mindful Tribe, we have the woman with us today to talk about this topic and how it dovetails with mindfulness we have Carolyn Goiter with us today. Carolyn, are you in mindfulness mode today? I really hope so. Yes. I have to say we're in lockdown at the moment and I have two small children. So I am look, I'm needing as much mindfulness as I can get right now. Well, <laughs> mindfulness is an absolute necessity as I can see it through this lockdown. It's been quite a challenge. We're with our son as well, but he's almost 19 now. So that's a bit different. And he has a natural sense of mindfulness, maybe because he edited my podcast for three years that might have helped him, but he does have a sense of, of mindfulness. That's for sure. Well, Carolyn, tell us what mindfulness means to you. Wow. It's, I mean, it's massive. It means a lot to me. It's something that I've come to later in life. And I had a very tough awakening about my lack of mindfulness when I arrived at drama school, which is going back at least 20 years because I had left Oxford. I'd been studying English at Oxford, so I'd read lots of books, but I was very stuck in my head. There was so much in a dialogue that I was very headbound. I was very conceptual about things. I didn't really exist in my body. And I got to drama school and they said, you've got no presence. You're not listening to people. You, you're not resonant. You're not in your body. And I remember hearing all of those things and being quite reactive and quite defensive because I just didn't know how to deal with them. And over the last 20 or so years, and of course, like all of us, I'm still on the path, I've unpicked what they meant. And voice and breath work and Alexander technique and mindfulness have been really major pillars of my understanding what they were trying to tell me all that way back then. Well, I want to share a little bit about you with Mindful Tribe. Caroline Goiter is a professional speaker and trainer, and she's well known for helping clients with confidence, particularly. She's worked for many years at London's Royal Central School of Speech and Drama as a voice coach before, <clears throat> excuse me, before launching her own company. And she's regularly sought out by the media and has been featured on television and in numerous national, international newspapers. But she has an exciting new book, which I'm sure you'll be very anxious to get your hands on. It's called Find Your Voice, The Secret to Talking with Confidence in Any Situation. And she covers so many angles about confidence and speaking in that book. It's published by Penguin Random House. I highly recommend it. Well, let's talk about your book. How did you get to that point where you made the decision to write a book about confidence and a book about, you know, speaking, really? I've got my little baby here, actually. Uh, so this book exists because I did that TEDx in 2014, which has had seven and a half million views. And I'd already written a book called Gravitas. And my publisher said, your TEDx is really popular. 
do you want to write a book on the subject of speaking with confidence? And so it was a classic piece of reverse engineering. But what it meant is that I got to write a book that is so close to my heart. You know, it's a really, it's the book I'm really proud of having written because it encapsulates everything that I've learned and want to pass on to people. Because I think everybody should understand that you can calm yourself down when you speak, if you're mindful about how the breath works. Because anybody who enjoys mindfulness knows that breath is the master key, right? Yes. Well, voice is breath. So voice is another way in to the system. We just don't think about it. Well, your parents gave you a love of voice. You tell us that in the book, a love of voice and sound. And then you said with a background of jazz saxophone. And I, I love to play the saxophone and so does my son. Tell us how your parents gave you this love of voice and sound. Well, I suppose it's particularly my father, who is a jazz saxophonist. And of course, everybody who, I'm no saxophonist, but they, saxophonists know that the sound is very close to human voice, isn't it? Yes. You hear someone breathing. You almost hear a voice. And so I grew up with someone warming up, you know, practicing tunes for a gig that night. And I really, I, I deep, it went in very deep, probably not consciously, about practice and discipline and the love of something and also a, a somatic connection, breath, body, performance. And so when it showed up in me at 21, 22, 23, in a different way on a stage, I suppose I shouldn't have been that surprised. Well, in your book, you talk about finding your calm center. That's in chapter two. Tell us, can you tell us now, how can we find our calm center? Wow. Okay. So this was a big epiphany for me. And we go back to drama school and we go back to, you have no presence. You're not listening. You're not centered. And one of them said, your diaphragm is like a shelf. I had no idea what to do with that. And then I went, I love yoga. It's a moving is a way into mindfulness for me. It quietens me down. And I went to a yoga class and he said, you're not breathing diaphragmatically. And I said, oh, I've been told this before. He said, lie down there. And he got this big, heavy gym weight because it was a yoga class in the gym. And he put this big gym weight on my tummy. And he said, feel that lift as you breathe in and feel it drop as you breathe out. And slowly I started to feel this powerful inner muscular lift. It wasn't me doing it with my rib cage. It wasn't me doing it with my belly. There was something much deeper that was lifting this weight. And I suddenly got a sense of how my diaphragm worked. And I remember lying down on the floor on this yoga mat thinking, wow, when I breathe like this, I feel so much calmer. And it was something that I hadn't really experienced. I'd carried myself around with tense shoulders and a tight lower back. And I just hadn't had access to that sense of inner calm and release. So it was very powerful transformational breath work that he just said, just lie down there. I'm going to show you how to breathe diaphragmatically. And it was something I want everybody to know about, really. Tell us what your daughters have taught you about confidence and speaking. Oh, children are the best teachers for all of this. Children are the best teachers for mindfulness. And in fact, I was reading Nancy Klein and Time to Think. And what she says about attention, creative attention, I thought I need to get better at that. Because 
I think children teach you two things. They show you what real attention looks like, especially younger children. I think my older daughter with screens is starting to lose that and it, it saddens me a bit. But the youngest one, who's just four, they just have this presence that is something we should all aim for. And they also teach you as a parent to stay mindful. And that's the Nancy Klein thing. I, I realized that my attention had been drifting back to phones and work. And actually the biggest gift that I could give her is just to really deeply listen. And I think we, we do it professionally, consciously. And I, my note to myself is you need to bring that to your home life as well. And isn't that the biggest gift we can give anyone in a way, especially in the business world? Oh, it's massive. I mean, I, right now, I think that there is literally no better skill for leaders than to learn how to be grounded physically and centered and to be empathetic and present to what people are telling you and what the world is telling you, because it's changing so fast that having a fixed plan, that ain't going to work. So listening is so important right now. One of the things you address in your book is why your voice shakes. And I remember when I was 12 years old and I was uh, playing the accordion in my church and I was so nervous. And I, I mean, I probably felt that it seemed a bit awkward to be playing accordion in the church because I played the organ and the piano and everything. But I, I remember that my teeth were chattering and I thought, oh, this must be what it feels like to be really nervous because I couldn't stop my teeth from, from chattering. So what causes our voices to shake when we get nervous? It's such a horrible feeling, isn't it? Yes. I think it's the voice shakes is the thing that stops people public speaking. It's the thing that silences people. And what I say in this book is really that if you understand fight or flight, and I'm sure lots of your listeners have a good understanding of the autonomic nervous system, fight or flight is good because it, it's arousal, it's alertness, it's focus. When you get too much adrenaline, when you get too much cortisol in the system, it ramps you up to run away, to punch them, to hide, to freeze, to befriend. And the, the kind of when you really dial up that adrenal response, the blood is pumping so fast, it's being diverted to the limbs, it's being diverted away from the brain that is going to speak. So people go blank or people start to speak too fast or the larynx is so pumped, the whole system is so pumped with energy, the larynx, the breath starts to respond through shaking and it makes people feel so out of control and so visibly out of control that they just go, I can't do this. But all I say to them is that Fritz Perls quote of fear is excitement without the breath. Mm -hmm. And if you learn that thing that that yoga teacher taught me to center your breathing, to find a nice low, wide diaphragmatic breath, to relax the hips and knees, ground the feet, relax the shoulders, the body perceives it as good alertness, good focus, like a tennis player going on, you know, to play a big game. And suddenly you hit peak performance. I heard an actor describe it today as you've got to think of it as a tailwind, a wind that pushes you forward rather than a headwind. And that's a really nice way to describe it because it can lift you up. It can power you, not slow you down. 
Caroline, I'm curious what it was like working at London's Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. What was that experience like? How long did you work there? Wow, I owe that place so much. It's still a really wonderful school. And gosh, I feel so bad for theatre right now, you know, in, yes. in the crisis. I think globally it's devastating. What you have to know about Royal Central is that it trained, it's the kind of alma mater of voice coaching because there were a number of voice coaches in the early 20th century who kind of created my discipline and lots of the greatest voice teachers of all time. I mean, it's a very niche um, profession, but people like Cicely Berry, Gwyneth Thurburn, Patsy Rodenberg, all trained and taught at Central. And so it's a place I'm incredibly proud to have been trained at and to have worked at because it's, it's you know, the source for a lot of the t teaching I pass on now. I'm not a, a voice expert, but there are many times when I hear a speaker speaking and I think, oh my goodness, that person isn't speaking in their natural voice. That person is tense and they're pushing tension into their, uh, into their speaking voice. And sometimes I, I just kind of think, oh, I just wish you could just relax and just, you know, have that relaxed voice that I'm sure is in there somewhere. Do you find that with a lot of people who are speaking or wanting to speak? Gosh, I mean, I find it in myself. I think, you know, we all as human beings have moments of tension and moments of stress. And I think the, the big lesson for me, the big journey has been being self-aware about what my system is up to. And mindfulness is brilliant for that. And then voicing what's actually going on rather than trying to present a mask. We kind of get into psychotherapy, which is not my field, but I think the paradox about an actor's training is that an actor is in theory there to learn to be someone else, but you can't play someone else unless you have a sense of your own instrument. So everything that actors learn is really about becoming self-aware and being flexible. And I think a lot of people aren't self-aware about what their voice is, what their bodies are doing. And so in life, they put on armor and they present the face that they think they should present. And that can become very fixed and very tense. And, and we hide our emotions that way. I think the British are particularly good at this, actually. <laughs> and what's, But the trouble is that people pick up on the mask they pick up on something inauthentic and it, it blocks the communication. So I would want everybody to learn to sing, to dance, to move when they're five and to keep those skills going, to play the saxophone, to connect to the instrument and to be expressive. Then I think we might get nervous, we might get tense, but we're expressive of what's actually going on. And that's when life is interesting. I love that. As a music teacher, I just think that is so important. I was a music teacher for a long time and I loved to get 
students to the point where they just enjoyed music and were comfortable and natural at it. They didn't have to be phenomenal just to have that attitude that, hey, this is something that I enjoy. And then they canceled vocal music at so many schools. And I thought it was just so devastating because we need that voice. We need that ability to connect with ourselves so that we can express ourselves, whether we are good singers or not, to just have that way to express ourselves. Yes. You talk about getting out of your head in chapter three, getting out of your head. Let's talk about that. How do we do it? Well, so, I mean, this is, you know, all my my journey in a way. I had studied at school. I'd worked very hard. I'd done all the exams. And I had learned that my sense of expression was intellectual. And I wasn't a sporty kid. I was always the kid, you know, when they were picking the netball team or picking the hockey team. I was always the kid right at the end because I wasn't naturally coordinated. And so... I didn't feel that my body was really the thing I had to offer the world. <laughs> I didn't really think that moving was my thing. Yeah. And the lesson from acting was that you don't have to be Roger Federer yeah. to inhabit your body. And in fact, neuroscience is backing all of that up. You know, Bessel van der Kolk's work on vagal tone. There's so much science coming through now about embodied presence and the importance of the information the body feeds back to the brain. And our ability to connect to others, our ability to overcome trauma, there's so much in the somatic that we don't get taught at school. And an acting training was just phenomenally useful in teaching me that. I can, I can imagine that it would be. Hey, Mindful Tribe, would you like to feel more vibrant, have more energy and even more clarity? Dr. Mark Hyman is known as the father of functional medicine, and he's put together a step-by-step program that will help you overcome the psychological and neurological symptoms that have been dulling your mind and draining your life of energy and joy. This can help with depression, anxiety, ADHD, Alzheimer's, autism, and even things like brain fog or memory loss. The program is called the Ultra Mind Process. Fix your broken brain by healing your body first. For you, Mindful Tribe, Mark is offering a special discount of 60% off. You can get this special offer at mindfulnessmode.com slash Mark Hyman. That's Mark Hyman, H-Y-M-A-N. So mindfulnessmode.com slash Mark Hyman. This is an affiliate link. So check it out. Thanks, Mindful Tribe. Now back to the show. One of the things that I like to talk about is meditation. Is that something that's a part of your life, Caroline? It certainly has been through lockdown. And and I I kind of give a hat tip to a wonderful yoga and pranayama teacher called Laurent Rohr. He's R-O-U-R-E, Laurent, Laurent, R-O-U-R-E dot com. And throughout lockdown, I've been doing his pranayama breathing classes and meditation classes. And they've been such a lifesaver. He is so helpful. So meditation is something I come back to. I guess what you could say is my form of meditation is chanting, actually, because on my voice training, I learned the importance of warming up the voice. And because I do yoga, chanting is a natural 
kind of complement to it. So almost every day I do some chanting and I find that brings me to the body in the same way, maybe slightly different way to how meditation would center you. Caroline, your your TEDx talk is just so successful with 7.7 million downloads. I mean, it's it's wonderful. And it's uh, certainly about public speaking. It's about social confidence. What do you think it is about that uh, TEDx talk that has made it su- such a, a, a popular go-to for people? Do you know, I think there were a few things. One is really quite pragmatic. I think the title that we chose the surprising secret to speaking with confidence has a kind of clickbait aspect to it. And it was pure dumb luck, really. But I do think a lot of people searched on YouTube for speaking with confidence. And secret is quite a powerful term. When people look at the talk and they see the the window, the screen, they see this crazy prop. Because I'm on stage with this half-naked torso of a man that's a chest of drawers. And I think there's a kind of curiosity aspect to that as well they want to watch it to find out when the prop comes in so i think those two things have had a powerful effect put it that way i i i was amazed you know to see the numbers go up the way they did have you ever wanted to do another tedx talk it's funny someone else said that recently maybe maybe i wonder if I wonder if the age of TEDx is moving on to something else. I wonder, I wonder if it's more about short form video. So I'm certainly thinking of doing something with video or with um, audio MP3. I'm not sure if it'll be a TEDx. We'll see. The jury's out. Right. Caroline, I uh, have worked in the field of bullying prevention for a long time, and I always like to ask a question about this. And and I think there can be a close connection between that and our lack of confidence and also mindfulness. Do you have a story you can share with us? Maybe you were bullied, maybe one of your clients, or maybe you were a bully. I don't know. Do you have a story you can share with us about, about bullying? I was really lucky at school in that I went to a school where I... I, I I think I can say I was hardly bullied at all. So that's very lucky. But I have had experience of being bullied in the workplace. And it happened a while ago. But I remember how deeply destabilizing it was and how the feeling of being gaslit, you know, gaslighting by someone can make you feel that you're losing your mind, especially when they're in a position of hierarchy. And I eventually left that job and the person actually was also asked to leave because they went on to bully other people. Mm. But it was a really tough experience and very knocking at the time. I felt really psychologically quite damaged by it. But I think ultimately it was strengthening because it's funny, I, I, I started on a PhD afterwards and in that PhD, I looked at Alexander Technique I never finished the PhD, but that's another story. And Alexander Technique is a discipline that I think unpicked all the physical tension that this bullying had caused and helped me to find a much more released presence. I had to go through some tears and some releasing, but afterwards I felt so much stronger. So I think sometimes it's a cliche, but sometimes these knocks these things that damage us can actually 
when we unpick it, be quite strengthening. And it makes me very empathetic to anybody who experiences that at work. It's horrible. What was the biggest revelation that came to you as a result of writing your book, Find Your Voice? Gosh, I think, I mean, in terms of personal revelation, it's the importance of sticking to your truth because an editing process is really tough and people who are very expert in the industry will have their view on things. And this time with this book, I'm really proud that I stuck to my guns. And I said, this is the book I want to write. This is the way I want to write it. I took the feedback. I changed it in a lot of ways that were suggested, but there were certain things that I really fought for. And looking at it now, I'm so glad I did. So there was a lesson there in what Brené Brown calls strong back, soft front. I had a strong back to stand up for what I believed in, but I also had a soft enough front to let in other people's ways of doing things. And I'm proud of myself for that. Can you share with us one of those things that you fought for that remained in the book? Well, Strong Back, Soft Front is one of them. And um, a lot of the last chapter, um, talking about the kind of the more spiritual aspects of the voice, a lot of that chapter I really fought to keep. And I think it wasn't necessarily what the editing process, the people involved had wanted. But as I look at it now, it feels really spot on. Yeah. So I'm glad I stuck to my guns on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an excellent chapter. And I, I agree with you about the, the spirituality of the voice and, and some of the ideas that you shared there. I think that was very powerful. What kind of feedback have you received from people since you published the book? Because it just came out this year, 2020, right? That's right. And the audiobook comes out on July the 2nd. So Ooh. yes. It's, it's imminent. Um, uh, the feedback, the, as I say, the editing process was tough and I got lots and lots of tough feedback, but it's like um, the acting process. Sometimes when you have a difficult rehearsal process, it makes the show itself easier. And, and this book has touched wood, been really well received by people who've read it and get it. And the process of creating was quite tough. So uh, there's a kind of karmic justice there maybe. Caroline, what are you working on now? What's next? I'm busy creating video content. So my normal life, my normal work life is hanging out in rooms, running trainings, you know, and that's not possible right now. So I'm playing with the idea of how I create what I do in a room and put it into a video course. And my summer is really going to be thinking about that, which is quite exciting. I like the creative process. That is exciting. And will you then move on to do trainings which are virtual? I'm doing a lot of that already, actually. I'm learning to love the Zoom room. <laughs> I think there's a, there's, I think it's a whole new form and it's more like a broadcast form. But there's moments of serendipity in Zoom rooms and in conversations on video conference that I think are really rather special. So there's been a big pivot, hasn't there, for yeah, all of yes. us, but I'm enjoying it. I mean, it's been a, a horrible time losing an, a headset here. It's been a horrible time for so many people. But I think there's been some creative insight that's come out of it. Do you think in the future you'll do less travel and less on-location training as a result of this pandemic? I hope so. I mean, the, the thing that worries me more than anything 
right now is the climate crisis. And if what comes out of this is that we all use less carbon, less flying, less driving, more working from home, more Zoom, I think that would be a really good thing. And I, for one, would be very behind that. Oh, yeah, I would too, because, you know, it's just unimaginable what we're putting into our atmosphere, especially with flying. But yeah, so many ways because of all the emissions that we're that we're putting into the environment. Is that a passion that you have had all your life? I think so. I mean, I think it came from my mom, actually. My mom has been a green since I was born, which is some time ago, and has always been one for planting trees and worrying about the climate. So, yeah, you know, if there's one passion that I have, it's that. So something will come around that in the next few years, I'm sure. So are you a musician yourself? I know you talked about your dad, but are you a musician? To his great disappointment, no. I learned the piano and I learned the flute as a child, but I never... I, I, I never kind of I never got the bug in the way. I suppose that theatre became my way of expression. I did join a choir recently, and while I am no talented singer, I do love being part of a choir. So I think it's something I'm finding my way to in my old age. Well, I thing I didn't learn it. I think that uh, you know, using your voice in the form of singing and with a choir, there's something really really fulfilling about that because you're communicating with those around you and with your audience and you're using your voice. And have you found that you've improved quite a bit since you joined that choir? It's a, it's been a kind of joyous, um, it, there was, there's been something about release and connection and ease and the, the importance of the group, you know, I think that's the value of music with other people. She said, losing her earpiece, isn't it? That you you lose a sense of self and it becomes part of a whole. And I think that's, you know, with my very basic understanding of music, that's what I love about being part of a choir. And that's what I love about being part of theater as well is the, the group, the whole, it's like a shoal of fish. Yeah, well, I've been a a choir director for many years, a music director in churches and choir directors. And I always particularly love that part of the the work is directing choirs and helping people with their voice and so on. And when I was a teenager, my voice didn't drop down as it as it was supposed to. And I was talking with this very unnatural voice for quite a while. And so I really appreciate when people find their true voice and are able to connect. So do you have a lot of people reaching out to you who are really struggling with that tension and struggling with the fact that they have not found their real voice? I get some lovely messages on the back of the TEDx and on the back of this book around how it's helped people. And I also get lots of questions from people who are struggling with it. So yes, I I think in this world where we're supposed to show up on Zoom and sound confident and everybody seems so polished, I think a lot of people really worry about how they come across. And and I just would like people to know how normal that is and how how beautifully imperfect the voice is and how people really don't mind. And how if you do have a stammer or if you stutter or if you your voice shakes when you get nervous that you know, as any good musician knows, you can practice to get better. 
is I tell the story of Demosthenes in the TEDx and in the book because he's a great example of an orator who started out being told he was awful and practiced really hard and became one of the greatest orators of his time. So this is all learnable, like music. Yes. And one of the things I learned from was editing my own podcast because I would listen to my podcast and I would think, oh my goodness, I'm repeating certain words so much. Or I would notice when I was saying, um, things like that. And then I would put little notes up so that next time I did, you know, a talk or next time I was communicating with somebody, I'd make a point of not overusing certain words. But I only learned that because I, I heard myself when I was editing the podcast. Otherwise. So this tech that we have, you know, whether we're videoing ourselves on Zoom or recording our voices on a podcast or on voice notes on your phone, if you can bear it, recording yourself, listening back is the best teacher. Even if it's just a sound file, I think that's sometimes more comfortable. And it's amazing what you can change when you hear it. Yes, it is. I loved how you used the guitar in your TEDx talk, and you really use that to help us understand our own voice. Can you share some of those ideas with us now? It's such a simple way to explain this incredible instrument. And, it, you know, if you think about a guitar, there's the hitter that hits the string and the string vibrates in the body of the guitar and it creates sound. And in the human voice, the larynx is the string. You know, you can go, it's tucked away behind this cartilage. And that string vibrates when it's hit by air pressure. And the air pressure is controlled by the stomach muscles, the ribs, the diaphragm, the muscles of support. And if you create a really strong, powerful column of air, you know, with good posture, with good support muscles, then you can have a naturally powerful, easy, relaxed voice. And I think if everybody understood that idea of the string and the hitter, and then the resonator of the skull, and to some extent, the rest of the bones of the body, I think everybody would have a good voice, but nobody teaches us that. Or maybe they do, you know, to children in choirs, but I think I didn't learn that at school. I didn't learn it until I went to drama school. Right. Yeah. It's not always taught in school. That's for sure. Caroline, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a mindfulness influence in your life? Alexander teachers. So um, a first Alexander teacher who I worked with was a chap called Kingsley in the center of London. But more recently, I've worked with an Alexander teacher called Paul Harland in London. And Alexander technique is such a powerful discipline. The second question is this, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? It's made me present to what's going on. And I, it comes in and out. I have good days and bad days, but when I find it, it's very nice. You've talked about this next item quite a bit, but maybe you can summarize it. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Breath is everything and learning to be present to my breathing and to be kind to it, to nurture it has been one of the profoundest lessons in my whole life. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Ooh, well, I'm reading Nancy Klein, Time to Think. 
And although it's not about the physiology of mindfulness, her idea that attention is an act of creation, I just think is wonderful. So yes, Nancy Klein's work, time to think. Are there any apps which you would recommend that can help with mindfulness or help with confidence or with the voice? The app I love is by a chap called Max Strom, S-T-R-O-M, and it's called Strategic Breathing. He's a yoga teacher and pranayama expert, and it's some really practical breathing tips and tricks and, and somatic work to help you get centered and handle anxiety. It's wonderful. Your uh, website is gravitasmethod.com, G-R-A-V-I-T-A-S, gravitasmethod.com. Can you tell us a bit about your Gravitas Method? Well, actually, we just changed the site over to carolinegoida.com, although Gravitas Method will take you to Caroline Goida. The Gravitas Method is... In a nutshell, it's a version of what I do for voice, breath, and body focused on a business and public speaking context. And really, I started to do it because I was asked so often, why don't I have gravitas? People tell me I need more gravitas. And I started to look into it and I realized that gravitas was a Roman virtue. It was also a term coined by Newton. You know, the idea of gravity being a downward force, which grounds us and also an equal and opposite upward force, which lifts us. Well, people with gravitas have that combination. They have a mindful, present groundedness, and they have a lightness, which comes from self-awareness. So the gravitas method is really a voice and body system to help people show up with presence. So it's got mindfulness threaded all the way through it. And in fact, there's in the first chapter, there's lots of things like Fofbok, which is very much a mindfulness tool. Feet on floor, bum on chair. Right. Simple and brilliant. <laughs> right. Well, I love how uh, your social media is so easy to to find and connect with because it's under your name, Caroline Goiter, and it's C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E and then G-O-Y-D-E-R. So just look Caroline Goiter up on social media and you'll find her. And of course, now we know that the website is the same thing, carolinegoiter.com. And Mindful Tribe, I know that Caroline has a special offer for you. If you purchase the book and you send the receipt to her at her email, caroline at carolinegoiter.com, you will receive the full set of Confidence Booster Audio Courses that she has created. So that's quite a gift. Just send the receipt for your book to caroline at carolinegoiter.com and you'll receive the full set of Confidence Booster Audio Courses. Do you have any final words of advice for people that are struggling with confidence and struggling to find their voice? I think th the best advice when you're struggling with confidence is to remember that confidence isn't an identity issue. It's not something that you have or don't have. It's a set of practices and mindfulness done every day will set you up on a path towards confidence. And then if your worry is about public speaking, apply the same principle, practice. Good speakers don't get there by magic. They get there because they practice just like good musicians. So things like join Toastmasters, 
find a friend to practice the speech with, but just get out there practicing little by little, you will become good. And then people will say about you, God, he or she is so confident. It's just practice. Such important skills to grasp. And I really appreciate you coming on Mindfulness Mode today, Caroline. It's great to meet you. Thank you so much for being here. I've loved it, Bruce. It's been, I just, mindfulness is so important to what I do. So it's been lovely to think about it with you. Yeah, it's my pleasure to get to know you. So all the best to you, Caroline. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting. Thanks, Thanks. Bruce. Bye now. Mindful Tribe, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can have more energy and more clarity with a step-by-step program by Dr. Mark Hyman that he's put together. It'll help with depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's, autism, so many things. The program is called the Ultra Mind Process. Fix your broken brain by healing your body first. He's offering the program to you, Mindful Tribe, at 60% off. So you can get it at mindfulnessmode.com slash Mark Hyman, H-Y-M-A-N. This is an affiliate link. So thanks for listening to the show today. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.